Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning, Hope Church. My name's Scott. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here um, at Hope Church. And one of the hallmarks of our church, whether you have been here for years or you are here for the first time today, and we're really glad you're here if this is your first time, but one of the hallmarks of Hope Church that I am very thankful for and, and proud of is that we like to study verse by verse through books of the Bible. How many are thankful that we study verse by verse through books of the Bible? Love that we do that here at Hope Church. And last weekend, if you missed it, we began a new study that, believe it or not, is going to take us multiple years to finish. Think I'm joking, but there's 16 chapters and we're taking like five verses at a time, okay? Multiple year study through the gospel of Mark. If you weren't here last week, I do encourage you to go online and, and watch Pastor Travis as he, as he opened this book last week. But if you have a Bible or a tablet or your phone, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be there in just a moment. But as we begin to continue to study this gospel of Mark... I think it's important for the first few weeks to continue to remind us of where we're at in the scope of Scripture and some fast facts about this Gospel of Mark. So I'm going to put some more facts here on the screen to catch us up. Here's some things about the Gospel of Mark that we need to know about. First is, this book is one of four Gospels. Now, for those of you who have been studying the Bible for a long time, that's familiar language to you. But if you're new to Bible study, that may be a little confusing. So I want to try to explain The first four books of the New Testament are often referred to as the Gospels. Gospel is a word that simply means good news. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are what are known as the Gospels. And really, they are four different perspectives from four different men inspired by the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ's life on this earth. So if you and three of your friends went to see a movie... Um, and, and you guys all walked out of that movie, you might have different things to say about that movie. Now, you're not inspired by the Holy Spirit like these guys were, but they watched Christ's life, and there's four different perspectives of what happened while he was on this earth. Now, why is that important? That's important because there's something that Mark would write about that maybe Matthew wouldn't mention or that Matthew would mention that John wouldn't mention. And so we always like to read the Gospels in harmony with each other. So all throughout this study, we're going to be looking at Matthew and Luke and John to kind of help fill in the gaps of some of the things that we don't read in the Gospel of Mark. Make sense? Next thing is this book was written to Gentiles following Jesus in Rome. So these are people not from a Jewish heritage following Jesus in the city of Rome. It's important to know as we continue to study this. Also, this is the shortest gospel that we have, 16 chapters. We said it last week, and we'll actually see it in our text today, but 39 times Mark uses the term immediately. 
Some of you are like Mark. He is an action-oriented guy. He's just trying to get to the next thing, to show you the next thing, to show you the next thing. And so his gospel is shorter than the others. And finally, this book was written in a culture that was hostile towards followers of Jesus. It doesn't take much study of history to find out that the city of Rome in this era was not a hot spot for Christian vacations, okay? If you've heard of the Colosseum, my wife and I had the opportunity for our anniversary a few years ago to, to go to Europe. And we stood there in Rome in the Colosseum. And to think of the, the savagery that happened in that Colosseum, specifically for Christians. Christians were not, this was not a place where Christians took their family on vacation. Yet, the Holy Spirit of God was on the move. People were meeting Jesus. And, and God was beginning to really do some amazing things when this book was written. And the church thrived. So last week, we looked at the first eight verses of this gospel. And really, just to kind of catch you up, we met a man named John the Baptist. John the Baptist, an interesting guy. And really, last week, the whole point of John the Baptist was to tell the world that the Savior was coming. John the Baptist came, and, and he was a unique guy. And he came as a forerunner from the Old Testament that talks about a forerunner. The forerunner would tell the world, there is one coming after me that is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And today we have the privilege of seeing that grand entrance of that Savior. So Mark chapter 1, we're going to read three verses today. Mark 1, 9 through 11. Here's what the Gospel of Mark says. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Very simply today, I want to kind of give you the game plan where we're headed today as we look at these verses. First of all, we're going to look at these three powerful verses. We just read them. We're going to read them several more times. These three powerful verses are going to teach us one glorious theological truth. Some of you already saw it. I can't wait to unpack it. It's an amazing truth that we get to, to hold on to as Christians. One glorious theological truth. Then in each of these verses, we see one significant event. So three total significant events happen and finally, for everyone in the room, or maybe you're watching online today, I want to challenge us with one challenging question. And really, I have one goal today. As I prayed through this message, as, as our team kind of helped write it together like we always do, I, the one goal I have for our time together today is simply this, that you and I would have a higher view of the one true God. You'll see this play. I, I desire all of us to leave this place with a higher view of the one true God, but also a clearer view of ourselves and live in light of those realities. That's the, the goal today is that you would leave this place with a higher view of the one true God, but also a clearer view of yourselves, ourselves, and then we would live in light of those realities. So as we start to unpack this scripture, these three verses, what is our one glorious theological truth? Before we ask that question, I want to ask another question. And I want every person in the room to think about this for yourself today. Here's the question. Who is God? 
Some of you already have an answer to that, but I want you to just think for yourself. As you think about that question for you, who is God? A guy of last century named A.W. Tozer would say this is a, a pretty important thing. Some of you have heard this amazing quote. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what comes into your mind when you think about God? If you were being honest today, I think some of you are here. And praise God you're here. But if you were honest, mom told you if you want me to buy you lunch, you're coming to church with me. Some of you are here because of that. Some of you are here because girlfriend or boyfriend said, hey, we're going to church, you're coming with me. And you're like, okay, here we go. And if you're honest today, when you think about God, you don't really think many great things. Maybe you've had some trauma when it comes to the church. And so if you were honest today, you would say, man, for me, God is, God is angry or, or God is, is weak or God is helpless or absent. You, you prayed about some things in your life and you're saying, it, it didn't work, Scott. So for me, God is helpless or weak or, or absent. Maybe for you, it's, you would just say, I'm an atheist. I'm, I'm here because my mom or my brother or whatever. And I don't even believe God is real. So for me, God isn't real. You came in here, if you've been honest, some of you not feeling God. But for others of us, probably most of us at a church, we came in here thinking, man, God is, is my healer. God is my savior. God is, is the thousand names that we just sang about, and he deserves every single one. You came in here eager and excited to worship God. But all of us have something that comes into our mind when we think about God. Who is God? Well, as Mark continues this story, he tells us something very, very significant about God. It's not all that we know about God, but it is a very glorious truth that as Christians we hold very dear in these verses. Let's put them back on the screen and check it out. In those days, I've highlighted a few words, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, he immediately saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Hope Church family, right here in these first few verses of the Gospel of Mark, we see an incredible doctrinal truth that we hold dear as Christians known as the Trinity. Now, as soon as I say that word, some of you are, are having flashbacks to a discipleship class you took a couple decades ago. Some of you have no idea what I just said because it's a new phrase to you. What is this idea of Trinity? I want to warn you, we need to put our thinking caps on because we're about to jump into the deep end of the pool, okay? We are going to the deep end of the pool today. But Trinity is, 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 a, is a phrase that we use that really God uses to describe himself all throughout the scriptures. Now, the word Trinity actually isn't in the Bible. It was added later by Christians to help explain and understand what we clearly see all throughout scripture. And it's this. There is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons. I told you, we're jumping in the deep end. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
This term that we say, Trinity, it, it, it describes our triune God, a one God who eternally exists in three distinct persons. Coexistent, co-eternal persons are God. Three persons. Notice I did not say three gods. Amen? That's a common fallacy or error when thinking about the Trinity. We agree with, with, the, with the Old Testament. To this day, Jews still say this. The ancient Shema in Deut Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. When we talk about the Trinity, we are not talking about three different gods. We are talking about one God and three distinct persons. You're saying, I don't really understand that. Welcome to the club. And there's lots of illustrations people try to use because we're logical creatures. We try to explain this. So somebody will take an egg and be like, the Trinity is like an egg. You got the yolk and you got the egg white and you got the shell and it's kind of like God. And then they say water. You, you take steam and ice cubes and, 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 and liquid water. and it's like, But all of those fall short because they don't fully capture what we're talking about here when we say God is triune. Another error people make is that God takes the form of each one. So the Father becomes the Son, who then becomes the Spirit. That is a common error as well. God has always been and will always be three persons coexisting in one God. Wayne Grudem, a famous theologian, said, God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God, and there is one God. Now, why are we talking about this? Because I believe we are not afraid, if you come to Hope Church for any length of time, we are not afraid of the deep end of the pool. Because as I study God more, it helps me to love God more and it helps me to have a higher view of God, which makes me love God more. And it's a cycle of worship as I learn more about this great God of ours. And so to understand the Trinity is really to understand my salvation. You say, what do you mean? Well, we all are humans. I'm looking around the room and it looks like we have all humans in here. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's our story. And so if you were honest with yourself and, and I was honest with you, we deserved God's wrath. But from eternity past, this triune God created a rescue plan where God the Father would send God the Son to live a perfect life that we could never live and die the death that we should have died. And on the cross, Jesus hangs on the cross and the Bible says the Father pours his just and holy and righteous wrath for our sin on his Son in our place. And he dies. The Son of God dies. But three days later, the Holy Spirit of God, co-eternal with the Father and the Son. By the way, the Spirit is not an it. It's a he. He's a he. We get weirded out by the Holy Spirit. It's like the, the weird cousin that comes around at Thanksgiving sometimes and says weird things. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, co-eternal with the Father and the Son. It's not an it. The Holy Spirit is not the force of Star Wars. The Holy Spirit of God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And by their grace, God poured out his spirit on us now as believers in Jesus. And here's the deal. God lives inside of you if you're a follower of Jesus. We praise God for that. Why? 
Because in my life, I need some help. So he helps me to fight my sin and to walk in holiness. And the Bible actually says he's a seal or a stamp in my life that this triune God has saved me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is our God. And this is the story of my salvation and your salvation. Now, if we all heard what I think we just heard, I can agree, we can all agree this is probably what we're feeling right now. <laughs> Here's the deal, that's a good place to be. I don't know about you, but if I could explain everything about the God I worship in my little logic box, in my little pea-sized brain, and there's never any questions or never any doubt, that God wouldn't be very worthy of my worship. So I am agreeing with what Paul says in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, at the end of all this amazing theology, Paul gives us, I think, some words to describe how we may be feeling right now in Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, how, and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? This is our triune God. We see the triune God of heaven in this story. Jesus coming to be baptized, the Holy Spirit descending on him, the Father speaking from heaven. This is my beloved son. This is a beautiful picture of the Trinity. Now, I know we just waded in some deep stuff. And so as I was studying this, I actually put together a list thinking that some people may want some more resources on this. So if you would want any, I got about five or 10 resources, videos, blogs, articles, books, the things that I studied this week as I prepared to talk about the Trinity, that if you would just like that, it's just a list of stuff. I can send it to you. If you just email me, I'd love uh, to, to send those to you. But this is the overarching truth of, of this passage, this glorious doctrinal truth of the Trinity. But now we're going to see these three significant events, each from one of the verses of this passage. Here's the first one. In verse 9, the sun's appearing. Verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, this event is very significant because it's everything that John set up last week. In fact, it's everything that all the prophets have been setting up for centuries and centuries. The, the Messiah, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one that millions of people have been praying for and waiting for, the one that God promises the enemy in the Garden of Eden when sin entered the world. He said, one day someone will come that you will bruise his heel, but he's gonna crush your head. The wonderful counselor, mighty God shows up on the scene. The sun appears. And you think about it, you're like, this had to be an epic entrance, right? I don't know if anybody in here is a fan of the WWE. Anybody fans of WWE? Okay, right on. I used to watch it when it was the WWF. Any vintage WWF people? Okay. Those people know how to have a grand entrance. <laughs> like, as soon as a certain song plays, you know who's coming down the ramp. I just watched a couple weeks ago the newest WrestleMania. And just give me a second. If you don't care about wrestling, just give me a second. Um, in the newest WrestleMania, it was an epic moment. Stone Cold Steve Austin came back, ladies and gentlemen. Nobody's impressed. It's okay. <laughs> if you know anything about grand entrances, as soon as you hear the glass break, psh, you know Stone Cold Steve Austin's coming down the ramp. 
Other people love The Undertaker, right? All the lights black out and you hear the bell toll. You know, The Undertaker, maybe riding his Harley, something. He's coming down a grand entrance. Surely there's gonna be a grand entrance for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You're clapping, but the gospel of Mark does not agree. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth. I mean, where is the music? Where is the pomp and circumstance? Listen, Nazareth, we hear that now and we know Bible language, so we know what that is. If you would have asked somebody where Nazareth was back then, they would have said, what are you talking about? It was a no-name village that nobody had ever heard of. I thought about how to contextualize this for our context. And is anybody here from Alamo, Nevada? Anybody here from Alamo, Nevada? So check this out. Last service, I say that because nobody's from Alamo, Nevada. And there's one dude up there that goes, I'm like, are you really from Alamo, Nevada? It's like, you kind of just ruined my entire illustration. Uh, Alamo, Nevada. The only reason I know where Alamo, Nevada is because when I grew up, as I was growing up, we would go hunting. We would go duck and geese hunting out in Alamo, Nevada. And the only reason I know what that is is because there was one water tower and one gas station where we would gas the truck up and get some chicken fingers for the hour and a half ride home. That's the only reason I know Alamo, Nevada exists. That's Nazareth. Nobody's ever even heard of it. It's a no-name town in a no-name region. And then it says the Jordan River. Again, we know the Jordan River now, but back then the Jordan River was not a hot spot for hanging out with the fam on a Saturday doing water sports. In fact, early rabbis were actually forbidden to use the Jordan River for early purification. I thought, again, contextually, what's going on with Lake Mead right now? That's kind of like Lake Mead. <laughs> if you don't know what's going on with Lake Mead, go ahead and Google it. There's some skeletons literally coming out of Lake Mead's closet over the last couple weeks. But seriously, when you tell me you're going to the beach, I never think you mean Boulder Beach, okay? <laughs> some of you don't even know what Boulder Beach is. I think you're going to Southern California. Why? Because we don't think that way about Lake Mead. That's the Jordan River. That's Nazareth. Surely, a guy from Nazareth, the region of Galilee, coming to the Jordan River, surely this can't be anybody of significance, right? He didn't show up with paparazzi. He didn't show up with an entourage. He just shows up. No one knew who he was or why he was there. John's gospel gives us a little bit more insight on what happened on this day. The next day, he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him. This is the same scene we're, we're reading in, in the gospel of Mark. And said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's like John's trying to get him stoked. And people were like, you talking about that poor looking dude walking from by himself? Where's he even from? Nazareth? Where's that at? Again, we don't understand the significance. It's almost like Jesus was doing this on purpose. I want you to see this. It's almost like Jesus is making a statement to say, this is going to look very different than you think it is going to look. The king of glory is not coming in here, busted on the scene with pomp and circumstance and a band and a whole parade. I am coming in meek and lowly, and I'm trying to show you that this kingdom I'm establishing is going to look very different than you think it is. 
God's upside down kingdom, I heard somebody say once. I love that language. It's this idea that this is going to look different than we think it does. That's why when Jesus begins to do ministry, he says crazy things like, if you want to be a leader, first be a servant. He says things like, if you want to save your life, lose it for the sake of something bigger than yourself. If you want to be first in my kingdom, be last here. When you walk into a room, take the lowest seat at the table. Be humble, serve others, sacrifice often. There's no surprise that the baby born in the nasty manger of Bethlehem would grow up in a town called Nazareth. And historians tell us, by the way, that he's 30 years old, about 30 years old when this scene takes place. Which means for the first 30 years, three decades of his life, he lived in complete obscurity. Some of you in the room aren't even 30 years old. Your whole life lived behind the scenes until one day you slowly and unassumingly make your scene on the banks of the Jordan River. I can't be the only one, but like as I read that, I'm thinking, man, like when I have 30 days of obscurity, I start complaining, right? It's like 30 days of not hearing thank you or I'm appreciated and I'm like, I just want to be appreciated. 30 years, the king of glory is behind the scenes, co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit, and he shows up. Again, they had their minds made up of how this was going to go. And Jesus flips it on its head at first jump when he shows up. Let's look back at these verse, uh, this verse to see something else that happened. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why on earth was Jesus baptized? I mean, it's kind of a strange thing. We, we know what baptism is. We, we celebrated baptism a few weeks ago. Praise God, 105 people professed faith in Christ through baptism. It was an amazing day. And, and, and we, yeah, we celebrate that. Amen. That's fine. But we said baptism symbolizes the fact that we are sinners who have been saved by a great Savior. That is not Jesus' story. He's not a sinner who needed to be saved. So why on earth did Jesus get baptized? This is why we want to harmonize the Gospels. We, we see from Matthew's Gospel a little bit more insight on why Jesus was baptized. Look what it says in Matthew 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. He, he gives us a little more insight. John actually tries to prevent him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me, right? Like we can understand that. If Jesus came to you and said, baptize me, it's like, we need to reverse that. Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus, here it is, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was baptized for a very specific purpose that would actually set the traje trajectory of where he was going in the next three years towards the cross. Here it is. Jesus was baptized to identify with the sinners he came to save. He came in this first appearing, not being baptized because he was a sinner, but being baptized to identify with the very sinners he came to save. It was as if he was saying, I am making a statement that I am identifying with the people that three years from now I will hang on the cross for. Jesus came to identify with the sinners he came to save. So it's very significant that the son appeared 
Jesus shows up. Here's the second significant event, the Spirit's anointing. Verse 10, and when he came up out of the water, immediately, there's the first of 39 times we'll see that word in this gospel. Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Jesus goes into the water, and as he's coming up, it says the heavens rip open. It's a Greek word, schizo. It's a, it's a really violent word that means to rip open or to tear open. I love this. Jesus didn't have this grand entrance, but the Holy Spirit did. Like the, the heavens open up, and the Holy Spirit comes down, and, and it says like a dove. Now, most, most theologians agree this wasn't a literal dove. What this was was a clear, manifest presence of the Holy Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity, co-eternal with the Father and the Son. It's a lot like he did back in the very first couple verses of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, as God was creating the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Here it is. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In this moment, the curtain of heaven is ripped open. And the Spirit of God descends in a manifest present way to say, this is the one. The one that has been foretold for generations. The one that you have been looking forward to. The one that you have been praying towards. He is here. And he anoints him. Anointing is a word that simply means God's hand is on you. Some of you remember a little shepherd boy named David of David and Goliath fame. Back in the Old Testament... The, the Old Testament prophet Samuel went to David's house and he anointed him with oil. It's as if he was saying, you are God's chosen one to be the next king of Israel. It was a stamp of God's approval and choosing of you. At Jesus' baptism, the Spirit of God came upon the Son of God to say, this is God's chosen. And from this moment, everything is about to change. I'm not trying to make this more of a big deal than it is. I mean, from this very moment, church, everything is about to change. As soon as Jesus leaves the Jordan River, he begins doing ministry and the kingdom of God and, and the ministry of Jesus begins after these moments that we're reading about. So the sun appears, the spirit anoints the sun, and finally our last significant event, the father's approval, verse 11. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. This is very significant that the father would say this over the son in this moment. Because let me remind you how many miracles Jesus had already done. How many amazing things, how many demons cast out, how many ministry things Jesus had done in this moment. The answer is Zero. So this is a moment where the father is speaking about him being pleased over the son before he even did anything that we would deem pleasing. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm not pleased with you because of what you do for me. I'm pleased with you because of who you are to me. I am pleased with you, not based on your performance or what you do, but I'm pleased with you because you are my son and I love you. This is important because we understand this even as earthly parents. If you have kids in your house, 
You probably, I hope, don't have a a scorecard that you are basing your love on each and every day. That would be cruel and unusual to say, "I, I was pleased with you, but you had a really bad week, kid. So I'm not pleased with you anymore, right? We, are, we understand that. We're like broken, imperfect parents. This is the perfect father God speaking over his perfect son of God. I am an imperfect father and I even understand this. So why is this so important? Here's how I wanna land the plane today. And I think this is really significant. I've been praying that if we really get a hold of this, this could change the way we view our relationship with God. So track with me. This is so good for us. Why did Jesus get baptized? He got baptized to identify with us as sinners. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 would go on to say it even, even better. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. Now, I know you don't feel very righteous today, Hope Church, but if you are in Christ, that just said God the Son became sin for you so that you could take on the righteousness that you didn't have in the first place. And now you are the righteousness of God. So let me ask you this. When the Father looks on you, if you were honest today, what do you think the Father sees? Most of us, thinks the Father sees my brokenness, my my failure, my utter failure to get it right, Scott. My greed, our our anger, our lust. We think if we we were to show ourselves to God, all he's going to do is say, you really messed it up again this week, Scott. Our pride. Listen, here's what I want us to see out of this story. When he, the Father, looks on us, he sees Christ. Because Christ identified with us as sinners and redeemed us, we have become his righteousness. And what did he say when he looked on his son? That he was well pleased. So when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see your sin and your messed upness and your brokenness. He sees his son, and in his son, he is well pleased. Man, if we could start to see ourselves the way God sees us. And this is huge because we are approval addicts. Like we're constantly trying to find approval. Uh, Maybe even as I say that, some of you are thinking about the fact that, man, my earthly father never spoke any sort of words of affirmation or approval into my life. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking constantly to be affirmed or approved by my, my parents or, or my spouse or my kids or, or even things. If I could just get a certain amount of salary or get a certain amount of status or followers or that girl or that guy, if I could get something, then I would feel affirmed and approved. And today, child of God, we are constantly looking at the wrong places for what we will never find in those places. And yet as a child of God, God looks at you not today in your sin, but he sees his son and with his son, he is well pleased. And so you today just need to rest in the fact that God is pleased with you. And if you could really believe that, I think it could change the way you relate to God. Now, does that mean you're perfect? Well, Positionally, the Bible would say I'm his righteousness. Positionally, you and I as as followers of Jesus are perfect positionally. God cannot love us any more than he loves us right now, even if you kill it this week. That's positional holiness. 
But praise God, here's the Trinity. He puts his spirit in me because practically I'm all kinds of messed up and so are you. So we have to work this thing out every single day and practically I'm not perfect. And so in me is the Holy Spirit of God who's helping me work this out practically what is true of me positionally. Even then the Trinity is at work in my life. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So that's why my goal today was that you and I would have a higher view of the one true God. Like, what if we really saw this triune, amazing God for who he is and what he's done? Holy, majestic, mind-blowing, but, but present and active in your life. And we left this place understanding how big and good and near our triune God is. And yet, a clearer view of ourselves. I love what Jesus does in this passage. He identifies with us as sinners. So listen, we can't escape that. We are sinners. He identified with us as sinners. But in Christ, God is well pleased with us. So we can have a clearer view of ourselves as sinners who have been redeemed by a great Savior and now are looked at by the Father as his own son is. So we could have a higher view of God, a more clear right view of ourselves, and we would live in light of those realities. That's why this passage is, is such a big deal. So, so what should our response be to this? We saw in these first few verses last week, John the Baptist agreed with who Jesus is. He said he's God. The triune God agrees with who Jesus is. He's the Savior. When the Father looks on the Son, he is pleased. The triune God agrees on all these things. And so here is the one challenging question that I would just leave you with today. All those things are true. Here's the challenging question. Will you agree with God today? I mean, we can come up with all the excuses why I'm not good enough or I don't have what it takes, or God can never accept me, but he's already said what he said in his word. You and I just have to agree with him, with what he's already said. I, I thought about this specifically today, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, just something God put on my heart to challenge you with and ask you, what is holding you back today? Because the world is selling you all this stuff to find fulfillment. And spoiler alert, it doesn't work. Look at every celebrity who has everything they could ever want or desire and something is missing. And yet we keep striving and we keep trying. And here we stand at the scripture and we say, God, you already said you've done it all. So today, if you don't know Jesus, my plea with you would be what is holding you back from embracing this God who loves you so much. He's done everything needed for you to rest in his arms forever and have what the Bible says is eternal, everlasting, full life. J.I. Packer, theologian who's now in heaven, I thought he said it best as I close. God is triune. There are within the Godhead three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here it is. And the work of salvation is one in which all three act together. Check this out. The Father purposing redemption. Before the foundation of the world, you, God put his love and his heart on you. 
the Son securing it and the Spirit applying it. Hope Church, let me ask you a question. Where is your striving in any of that? Doesn't exist. You are a recipient of a crazy good God and his grace that you don't deserve and you can never earn, but he still gives it to you because he's that good. And yet, and yet, some of you will walk out of here and say, no. And my question is, when that triune God of the universe stands ready today to lavish on you what you can never earn and you don't deserve, why would you ever deny that? So that's what I'm challenging you today. If you don't know Jesus, today is the day that you say yes to what he has already begun in you today. If you're feeling right now, man, I, I think I'm supposed to surrender my life to Christ. Guess what? That's the Holy Spirit, co-eternal with the Father and the Son drawing you to himself today. Your response is to say yes. In just a minute, we're gonna have some pastors up here like we always do. We would love the opportunity to introduce you to Jesus, to talk to you from the scriptures about what it looks like to live the life of a Jesus follower. Today could be the day that changes your life forever. You probably know a Christian who can explain to you that day. I remember the day for me when I said yes to this good God and I've never been the same. For others of you, followers of Jesus, some of you have been following for Jesus for a long time. But if you're honest, you've kind of lost sight of this big view of God and this right view of yourselves. So maybe today was just a, a building up of your faith as we looked at the triune God and all he is for us. And you would have a right view of yourself and your response today would just be worship and surrender. In just a minute, maybe come down here to these altars and just cry out to God and just worship this amazing God that we serve. Still others of you, maybe there's just things going on in your lives. Every week we have the opportunity to pray together. Pastors up here would love to pray over your family, finances, health situations, whatever may be going on in your lives. Encourage you to take advantage of an opportunity to just pray with your pastors. There's nothing special or magical about our words. Sometimes it's just good to confess to somebody to say, this is where I need prayer. So Jesus, we thank you for who you are. I thank you today for salvation. God, I believe you're gonna save people in this place right now. You're drawing people even right in this moment. So Father God, I thank you for your purposes and your plan and Holy Spirit of God, I pray you would do what only you can do in these next few moments. As we stand and sing to the Lord our God and praise him for who he is. Would you move and work and have your way? We trust you, Lord. We thank you that we can have a high view of you and a right view of ourselves and live in light of those realities. You're good to us, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name.